Chapter Twenty, Part Three of Triumphant Democracy by Andrew Carnegie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in October 2020. Triumphant Democracy by Andrew Carnegie, Chapter Twenty, Part Three general reflections during the period covered by this sketch of my experience britons have begun to read and hear more and more about the republic and i am happy to say to run over and see for themselves what the main division of the race is about the former visitor invariably made the mistake of taking the semi-english semi-foreign new york city for the country he had seen most of what was to be seen if he had spent a week or two here so he thought but the really able britons like morley huxley froude freeman farrar irving rosebury bell richards pigeon salt rogers seeley bryce spencer arnold and others who are all personages at home and many of them personages anywhere this class knows that until the allegheny mountains are crossed the real native is rarely to be met with and certainly not unless the visitor has access to the homes of those who figure little or none in political life can he see the best people of the land or understand the foundation of personal worth upon which the state mainly rests all this these good friends of ours know quite well and upon the whole i think the americans may be quite satisfied with the impression they have made upon this class of british visitors their reports about america as far as i have heard them direct or from those to whom they have been spoken have ever been flattering so that to-day i believe the affection with which the republic regards the old land is in a fair way to be reciprocated when the example of a nation is quoted by the leading men of another in grave crises as the best means of rousing their own people to creditable action we may safely infer that its position in their esteem is at least secure the instances in which the republic is nowadays called upon to serve as the inspirer of the old land are too numerous to mention but only last evening i read a speech made by mr chamberlain who was certainly nearer to the premiership of britain than any one except mr gladstone from which i extract the following quote, to preserve the union the northern states of america poured out their blood and treasure like water and fought and won the contest of our time and if englishmen still possessed the courage and stubborn determination which were so lately the ancient characteristics of the race and which were so conspicuous in the great american contest we shall allow no temptation and no threat to check our resolution to maintain unimpaired the effective union of the three kingdoms that owe allegiance to the present sovereign End quote. note the if my fellow-citizens if englishmen still possessed the courage and stubborn determination which were so conspicuous in the great american contest americans have been praised for their energy their devotion to education and to religion their inventiveness their resolute payment of debt and for other qualities but who could have believed that a leading statesman of britain would cite their high courage and stubbornness to the old bulldog race of britons mr chamberlain however in my opinion 
does the original race injustice men decreed by the laws of a state unworthy at birth to be equal citizens thereof have no reason to fight very hard and sacrifice much for its maintenance give them the rights of the american my dear mr chamberlain and you will then see in britain what patriotism means there is not yet in britain a government of the people but a government and the people government is always thought of by the masses as something not of but apart and above themselves americans may not be able to understand this but it is quite natural in a country where government is based on the idea that its head springs from a higher source than the voice of the people and is beyond their control descending from parent to child by right of birth yet so advanced a man as mr chamberlain it will be observed speaks of the three kingdoms which owe allegiance to the sovereign he does not seem to realize that just as long as the people owe allegiance to anybody but themselves so long will he look in vain to his countrymen for the love and devotion to their country which is found in the breasts of americans for theirs they have not equal reason to love the land which gave them birth the republic honors her children at birth with equality the monarchy stamps hers with the brand of inferiority the following from the most powerful liberal organ in britain the spectator december twenty sixth eighteen eighty five also invokes the action of the republic as an example for the original race Quote, democracy ought to be strongest of all in its insistency that properly represented parts of the body corporate shall not set the body corporate at defiance and set up for themselves it was found equal to the strength of purpose in the united states and we trust that it will be found equal to it in the united kingdom the trial was severe and the conflict was long but the tenacity of the democracy triumphed at last we believe that it will be so with us if we show indecision if we show weakness if we show that the spirit of determination to put down the secessionist tendencies of the day is not high within us we shall undoubtedly be giving the first serious signal of national decay we do not believe that it will be so we believe that great britain directly the situation comes out clearly before her will nerve herself to as strenuous a policy as that which secured the integrity of the american nation in the great crisis of eighteen sixty one and quote democracy was found equal in the united states and we trust it will be found equal in the united kingdom the democracy triumphed and we believe it will be so with us we believe that great britain will nerve herself to as strenuous a policy as that which secured the integrity of the american nation in the great crisis of eighteen sixty one if the old land you see only comes up to the standard set by the new it is all that is even hoped for but under monarchical institutions it is impossible they can ever reach the standard monarchical institutions emasculate men the masses in greater degree but even in public life to-day in britain there is probably not a man of the rank of a cabinet minister no not one but would have bowed and that low and repeatedly if desired to gessler's cap and smiled to think he had done himself no injury by so doing since it was not a practical question 
of course men can kiss the hand of the queen as one is proud to kiss the hand of any good woman but how will it be when the prince of wales holds out his hand and mistress chamberlain and morley collins and broadhurst trevelyan and fowler and others are required to kiss that i am not sure but that even these radicals may find it no strain upon their manhood to incur this degradation but the first man who feels as he ought to feel will either smile when the hand is extended at the suggestion that he could so demean himself or give it a good hearty shake or knock his royal highness down i have heard of ladies of high rank who say they never would kiss the prince's hand but they need not trouble themselves upon this score for the prince will make himself immensely popular by reversing the process and kissing their hands instead he is a gallant gentleman it is not the man we declaim against but the effect of the customs fit only for serfs by which monarchy is surrounded and which tend to keep men even radicals subservient the masses of britain always have been and are now with a republic to the core their warmest sympathies and intensest admiration are bestowed upon the republic this sentiment has already reached the educated liberals the more pronounced the liberalism the more affectionately is the freer land regarded the position of the country in its recent amazing strides the peace and content which everywhere prevail and beyond all the regard for law and order and for the rights of property the unmistakable conservatism of the american people on which i have dwelt are fast making a decided impression upon the hitherto timid and misbelieving but educated people of the conservative party they cannot quite account for it and are not yet open to the truth that political institutions which make all citizens equal necessarily produce the virtues which i have recounted but as no other explanation is seemingly possible we may soon expect them to advance to its admission tory democracy may not then be an apparent misnomer after all i should like americans to observe how rapidly the thinkers of europe are discovering the merits of their institutions and example several of britain's foremost men have recently visited the country the historian freeman came first listen to what he says Quote, your constitution above all has gone through the most frightful of trials and it has stood the test i remember twenty years ago how shallow people were crying out that the principle of a federal system was proved to be worthless because certain members of a particular confederation wished to separate from it i can only suppose that they fancied that no revolts no separations no dismemberments had ever taken place in the lands governed by kings the retort is so obvious that i need hardly point out that the recent experience of greece of belgium of poland of lombardy of sicily of half a dozen european lands proved at least as much against monarchy as the secession of the southern states proved against federalism at all events they did not stop to think that after all they were only backing up one federal commonwealth against another they must have shut their eyes to the fact that the southern confederacy in its short-lived constitution re-enacted all the essential features of the constitution of the united states the fact is one which i should turn about in another way 
I can conceive no more speaking tribute to the wisdom of any political system than the fact that the men who were most dissatisfied with its actual administration, the men who were most anxious to escape from its actual fellowship, of set purpose reenacted its chief provisions for their own separate use. End quote. Mr. Freeman was followed by their foremost literary man, Mr. Matthew Arnold. Here is his conclusion. Quote, As one watches the play of the Americans' institutions, the image suggests itself to one's mind of a man in a suit of clothes which fits him to perfection, leaving all his movements unimpeded and easy. It is loose where it ought to be loose, and it sits close where it's sitting close is an advantage. The central government of the United States keeps in its own hands those functions which, if the nation is to have real unity, ought to be kept there, those functions it takes to itself and no others. The state governments and the municipal governments provide people with the fullest liberty of managing their own affairs and afford, besides, a constant and invaluable school of practical experience. This wonderful suit of clothes, again to recur to our image, is found also to adapt itself naturally to the wearer's growth and to admit of all enlargements as they successively arise. End quote. The third of the trio is the historian Mr. Froude, and here is his verdict. Quote, the problem of how to combine a number of self-governed communities into a single commonwealth, which now lies before Englishmen who desire to see a federation of the empire, has been solved and solved completely in the American Union. The bond which, at the Declaration of Independence, was looser than that which now connects Australia and England, became strengthened by time and custom. The attempt to break it was successfully resisted by the sword, and the American Republic is and is to continue, so far as reasonable foresight can anticipate, one, and henceforth indissoluble. Each state is free to manage its own private affairs, to legislate for itself, subject to the fundamental laws of the Union, and to administer its own internal government, with this reservation only, that separation is not to be thought of. The right to separate was settled once for all by a civil war which startled the world by its magnitude, but which, terrible though it might be, was not disproportioned to the issues which were involved. Had the South succeeded in winning independence, the cloth once rent would have been rent again. There would not have been one America, but many Americas. The new world would have trodden over again in the tracks of the old. There would have been rival communities with rival constitutions, democracies passing into military despotisms, standing armies, intrigues and quarrels, and wars upon wars. The completeness with which the issue has been accepted shows that Americans understood the alternative that lay before them. That the wound so easily healed was a proof that they had looked the alternative in the face and were satisfied with the verdict which had been pronounced. And well may they be satisfied. The dimensions and value of any single man depends on the body of which he is a member. As any individual, with his horizon bounded by his personal interests, he remains, however high his gifts, but a mean creature. His thoughts are small, his aims narrow, he has no common concerns or common convictions which bind him to his fellows. 
he lives he works he wins a share small or great of the necessaries or luxuries which circumstances throw within his reach and then he dies and there is an end of him a man on the other hand who is more than himself who is part of an institution who has devoted himself to a cause or is a citizen of an imperial power expands to the scope and fullness of the larger organism and the grander the organization the larger and more important the unit that knows that he belongs to it his thoughts are wider his interests less selfish his ambitions ampler and nobler as a granite block is to the atoms of which it is composed when disintegrated so are men in organic combination to the same men only aggregated together each particle contracts new qualities which are created by the intimacy of union individual jesuits are no more than other mortals the jesuits as a society are not mortal at all and rule the catholic world behind each american citizen america is standing and he knows it and is the man that he is because he knows it the anglo-americans divided might have fared no better than the spanish colonies the anglo-americans united command the respectful fear of all mankind and as pericles said of the athenians each unit of them acts as if the fortunes of his country depended only on himself a great nation makes great men a small nation makes little men we have also as recent witness the english writer mackenzie author of the remarkable history of the nineteenth century and an excellent work on america here is the last paragraph of his work america has still something to learn from the riper experience and more patient thinking of england but it has been her privilege to teach to england and the world one of the grandest of lessons she has asserted the political rights of the masses she has proved to us that it is safe and wise to trust the people she has taught that the government of the people should be by the people and for the people let our last word here be a thankful acknowledgment of the inestimable service which she has thus rendered to mankind End quote. and finally we have sir henry maine's popular government a work at which we must often smile for sir henry is sorely afraid of democracy and charges popular government with all the ups and downs of the spanish republics of south america and the french republic and never seemingly stops to ask himself how these communities have gone on or how they would go on were the rule of a class tried by them how france did under the monarchy of the empire for instance nevertheless when he comes to the american constitution he gives us pages of favorable comment and closes his book with these remarkable words quote, the powers and disabilities attached to the united states and to the several states by the federal constitution and placed under the protection of the deliberately contrived securities we have described have determined the whole course of american history that history began as all its records abundantly show in a condition of society produced by war and revolution which might have condemned the great northern republic to a fate not unlike that of her disorderly sisters in south america 
but the provisions of the constitution have acted on her like those dams and dikes which strike the eye of the traveller along the rhine controlling the course of a mighty river which begins amid mountain torrents and turning it into one of the most equable waterways in the world when the american constitution was framed there was no such sacredness to be expected for it as before seventeen eighty nine was supposed to attach to all parts of the british constitution there was every prospect of political mobility if not of political disorder the signal success of the constitution of the united states in stemming these tendencies is no doubt owing in part to the great portion of the british institutions which were preserved in it but it is also attributable to the sagacity with which the american statesmen filled up the interstices left by the inapplicability of certain of the then existing british institutions to the emancipated colonies this sagacity stands out in every part of the federalist and it may be tracked in every page of subsequent american history it may well fill the englishmen who live in facia romula with wonder and envy End quote. so my fellow republicans the world is coming rapidly to your feet the american constitution is being more and more generally regarded as the model for all new nations to adopt and for all old nations to strive for as i have said in a previous chapter americans need not expect the aristocracy ever to regard with other than prejudiced mind and vindictive hate a state which flaunts in their faces the truth that their existence is a positive injury to the nation upon which they feed like parasites how can a peer of britain who is not more of a man than a peer which few of them are how can he have the slightest wish for the prosperity of a nation which would not tolerate his existence as a peer within its bounds if any man believe that queen victoria or the prince of wales or kaiser william or any member of a royal family could receive more welcome news than that of the downfall of the republic which proves every hour to the parent lands that these royal people are only excrescences upon the state the setters of bad example and the very core around which the worst vices of english life gather and fester if any one can believe this his estimate of human nature differs from mine there is not a crowned head in the world nor a member of a royal family who could refrain from secretly rejoicing at any disaster which would befall a republic and the joy would be in proportion to the magnitude of the disaster this is not at all to be wondered at indeed it is obviously inevitable and i must confess that when i hear of the downfall of any hereditary privilege i croon to myself and am happy no message so sweet i have my revenge the overthrow of a monarchy and the birth of a republic as in the case of france is a perfect wellspring of joy to my heart i fancy there are few americans who are not equally delighted then let them know and understand that with a bitter hate is the republic hated by the royal families and aristocrats no matter how well they may dissemble and appear to wish it well for policy's sake let but the republic be in danger and it will soon see how ready they are to stab it from behind 
fortunately their power to injure grows less and less and even today is quite impotent to arrest the constantly increasing volumes of genuine admiration and affection with which this country is regarded by all but this small noxious class which is rapidly fading away the assimilation of the political institutions of the two countries proceeds apace by the action of the older in the direction of the newer land year after year some difference is obliterated yesterday it was an extension of the suffrage today it is universal and compulsory education tomorrow the joining of law and equity and the next day it will be the abolition of primogeniture and entail a few years more and all that remains of feudalistic times will have disappeared and the political institutions of the two divisions will be practically the same with only such slight variations of structure as adapt them to the slightly varying conditions by which they are surrounded it has been and is my chief ambition to do what little i can if anything to hasten this process that the two divisions may thereby be brought more closely into unison that the bonds between my dear native land and my beloved adopted land may be strengthened and drawn more tightly together for sure am i who am in part the child of both and whose love for the one and the other is as the love of man for mother and wife sure am i that the better these grand divisions of the british race know each other the stronger will grow the attachment between them and just as sure am i that in their genuine affection and indissoluble alliance lies the best hopes for the elevation of the human race god grant therefore that the future of my native and adopted lands may fulfil the hope of the staunchest ablest and most powerful friend of this land and the great commoner of his own that although they may be two nations they may be but one people thus spake john bright and echoing once more that fond hope i lay down my pen and bid my readers on both sides of the atlantic farewell end of chapter twenty general reflections and end of triumphant democracy by Andrew Carnegie.